Very good. Baby Eli is here. A little bit of family news before we get started. Davison's, why don't you stand up if that is possible? Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Amazing. Church growth right there. 101. Have babies. Phenomenal. We are in this really exciting uh, series, um, Carrying Faith for Salvation. Listen, guys, this is a, a really pivotal uh, time in our, our, our church life as we, um, not just for a season, reflect on uh, the role and responsibility that we have to play in demonstrating and extending and showing and sharing the good news of Jesus. This is a, this is a series that we believe and we pray will, will mark our community, um, that will accelerate uh, those things that we dream for, that uh, it would stir up things that we long for, that things that we've prayed for, things that we've dreamed about, things that we've spoken in relation to seeing our friends and our family and our colleagues would not just be something of a distant dream, but we'd begin to stir us to take our place in the great adventure of showing, sharing, and demonstrating, and carrying not just a faith for salvation, but, um, but our role and what it looks like to see this beautiful gospel uh, extended, shared, shown, extravagantly declared over our city. I want to talk um, today really about what it is, and I've called this talk sustainable. When I look at my life and look at things that <clears throat> I genuinely think should show up in the normal Christian life, and I'll personalize it to me, when I look at my life, I recognize that there are many things of the normal Christian life, my faith, that are present at times and then not present at other times. Things that I hope I would start in my life and see uh, develop and grow and sustain through my life. But honestly, um, many of those things come and go. It's probably just me, like you lot out there are way more on it than I am. I'm just here trying to lead a church. Um, but genuinely, I feel like one of the, the big issues for us in terms of this normal Christian life is how do we sustain things that we, we know to be an aspect or a part or, or a, 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 um, a pivotal aspect of, of the normal Christian life? How are those things sustained? I want to say this kind of blanket statement over this morning uh, and over your lives, and that is this. I believe that the normal Christian life is a life lived from a place of identity. That ultimately, the normal Christian life is not a long list of do's and don'ts that we either do or don't, that we try frantically to observe. But I often I feel like that's what we disseminate our faith down to. It's like, hey, there's a bunch of things that I know should pop up in my life, be demonstrated in my life that I see in Scripture, I see in other Christians' lives, and, and I know that's the normal Christian life, but honestly, I'm just, it's a list of things in front of me that I'm frantically trying to remember, frantically trying to tick off a list, and I'm frantically trying to live this normal Christian life almost from an external um, checklist-type basis. But I really believe that the normal Christian life is to be lived out from a place of our identity, which is this internally motivated world. This internally crafted and formulated world that is really formulated out of the new birth, salvation, new identity that we get when we all say yes to Jesus and say we're going to follow him. And that's really where I want to I want to start and point our time this morning is that when it comes to sustaining mission, 
When it comes to cultivating and nurturing our maturity journey and the mission of the gospel, if we simply consign that to an activity that is on the list of things that we need to do this week, listen, it will come and it will go. Even purely and simply, if we forget uh, fear of evangelism or, or the challenges of busy lives, listen, just simply just my memory would chalk that one up to being a difficult thing. Am I going to remember this week to think missionally? Am I going to remember this week to represent Jesus? Am I, going to, am I even going to just remember to share the gospel with people? If it's an external thing that I'm trying to tick off a list and not an internally identity-formed, um, motivated thing, then ultimately, I think we're, for many of us, we just, it, it, even before we think about, it, we're just going to forget. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that. I, how many of you remember when you, when you started uh, to learn to drive? How many of you remember that time? I recently, um, a couple of years ago, I, I um, learned to ride a motorbike. And so I went through this whole thing of like learning something new. And do you remember <clears throat> when you started to learn to uh, drive a car and you, and you start taking lessons? How many of you remember like after a half hour lesson or an hour lesson, you were exhausted, Right? Because you are just so focused on everything that you're being taught. There are like so many things going on. There's so many things to factor. Like every time, like on an hour's driving lesson, you must like turn a corner maybe a hundred times. And so what have you got to remember a hundred times? Mirror, signal, maneuver, right? There's this like checklist of things you do and you've got to think about your road position and you've got to think about mirror and then your signal and then your maneuver and you, oh, don't take out the kids and all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot to consider and contemplate when you're learning to drive. How many of you, when you're driving your car now, are thinking mirror, signal, maneuver? How many of you do that? Like how many of you are getting out of the car after a half an hour drive and feeling as exhausted as you did when you first started to learn to drive? No. Because somehow, through this process of learning and assimilating the, uh, the practices and the, the right way of driving, you've assimilated something into, and you're now a, a driver. You're no longer just kind of learning to drive. You're a driver. Like there's literally times when I will drive my car, maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes. I don't even remember anything I've done. How many of you have done that? You was like, oh, I don't even remember how I, I, I got here. I was just listening to the radio and I, got, I arrived. Just me? No, so it's like, you know, you, you, you're in a different space now. In your, in, your, in your driving, your normal driving life, you're in a different space than when you first started to learn. And I feel like it's very similar in relation to the normal Christian life. That actually there is a, a process of assimilating much of what that looks like into the normal flow of life where actually it becomes, we use the phrase, it becomes second nature. There are things that we do that we're no longer checking off a list or constantly reminding ourselves to do in a robotic sense, but they just become second nature. Our nature is what ultimately defines then what we do. And it bypasses at some level our kind of our linear thinking of, I've got to do this, 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 and it becomes second nature. And I feel like it's a, it's a lot like that with the normal Christian life. And I believe it's a lot like that when we come to, come to thinking about ourselves missionally and the, and the incredible mission of sharing and showing the brilliant gospel. 
the incredible love of God to the world around us. That ultimately, if we think at some level that it's an external checklist of things that I need to move through in a day, then even if we remember to do that, then it's exhausting and, it, and it's challenging to even like kick ourselves into that gear. But actually, mission isn't something that we do. It's someone that we are. We are missional. Um, I love the way um, Paul helps... Um, the early church kind of distinguish between um, what it looks like for, for, their, for their new life, their new life through Christ to be a defining aspect of how they live life. Ephesians 4, it won't come up on the screen, but Ephesians 4 um, says this in verse 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. In other words, Paul is saying that there is this new way to live. There is this, uh, there is this, uh, there's this manner in which you walk that is worthy, that is, um, that is according to or worthy, or is, in other words, it stacks up or is equal to this new creation, this new identity, this new life that you found in Christ. And that ultimately, when, when we said yes to Jesus, we didn't just say yes to what he did on the cross as a momentary impact to our lives. We said yes to following in the ways of, of Jesus. And in that moment, we became a new creation. We became sons and daughters. We understand when we look at Romans that there, there's this um, reality to our, to our new life where we're adopted as God's sons and daughters. And it, it shifts the way that we think. It's no longer, a, 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 you know, we're not assigning ourselves to a behavioral list of things to do, but we become a new creation. The Amplified of that, of that version says this, that is to live a life that exhibits godly character. I love that phrase, uh, to live a life that exhibits godly character. It doesn't say to live a life that, that replicates or, or, or uh, tries to emulate. It says, um, it says to live a life that exhibits, to display, to show. And I feel like in some way that, that what Paul was grappling with is, is that when we think about the new life that we have in Christ, this new way of living, this new identity, our new nature, not our second nature, but our new nature, this new nature is one that um, exhibits God. It demonstrates and shows who God is. You know, Paul is saying there's a new way to live and it's according to your new nature in Christ. It's according to your new identity. And it's according to and it's, it's worthy of it. It stacks up and it's equal to the calling which you've been called to, which is to exhibit, to display God. Like that's an amazing thing to realize. I wasn't just, I wasn't just saved from hell, but I was, I was born into a new relationship with God, born of a new identity, a new creation, new identity. And that new identity has the express purpose of exhibiting God, of demonstrating and showing just who God is. And this is exactly where we have to get to in our, in our thinking around mission. It has to come it has to come from the beyond the realms of, a, of an activity I do, and it, it has to begin to start to emulate from my new nature is missional. Like my new identity is one that exhibits and shows and demonstrates who God is. 
And that moves it then from something simply that I try to do during the week to, to I sh- wherever I show up every day, I'm a really good me, right? Like wherever you go this week, you'll do a killer job at being you. Like that's one of the best things that you can do this week is, is show up and be you. Because there's no one else on this planet that can be you. But in your new nature, this new, this new you, wherever you show up, has the primary purpose of, of displaying, exhibiting, demonstrating who God is. And so we move this reality of, of mission, this thing which for so many of us, like it creates thoughts of fear or dread. It, we move it from this activity that we have to do into, I've just got to figure out how I more and better display the nature of God on my life. And ultimately, in discovering that, it's in discovering more of who God's created me really to be. Our missional responsibility, it flows from who we are, not what we think we're required to do. Let me say that again. Our missional responsibility, it flows from who we are, not what we think we're required to do. Because who we are, it molds us, it shapes us, and it defines ultimately then what we do, right? If we think that this normal Christian life is just a list of do's and don'ts, then we will frantically be giving ourselves to making sure we get it all right and do all the right things. But if we start to plumb the depths of what is my, what is my new nature What does it look like for me to fully show up on this earth, fully show up in my workplace with my my friends and with my neighbours? What does it look like for me to fully show up in who God's really created me to be? And in doing so, how do I fully exhibit? How do I fully show off? How do I fully demonstrate just how good God is? So when I think about a life that can fully sustain the mission and call of showing and sharing Jesus to the world around me, I have to realise that it's in the mark of my new identity, not simply just something that I am constantly pressurised to do. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared about the difference really between um, um, living under pressure and carrying a burden. You know, our responsibility, let me say this as a statement, our responsibility is to, is to discover more and walk in ever-increasing measure in who we really are. And that is not a, that is not a pressure cooker environment. If, if, if we are simply, if we have a list of things that we think we're supposed to do, that becomes an external pressure by which we have to figure out what we're doing. And when we don't, we feel guilty about it. But when we're putting, um, when we're discovering more of who God's created us to be and learning how to exhibit God through our real nature, actually that allows us to carry his burden for the lost that are around us. The mission of the gospel is not something I do, it's someone that I am. So I want to look really quickly at that that the, really the difference between that, that the pressure that comes from, from being externally needed to motivate ourselves. I want to say this before we do this. I, I, I'm fully convinced that um, often what we boil mission down to is that we think we're somehow pointing people to an external truth about Jesus. And we, like our job is to kind of point to this external truth about who Jesus is 
and then at some level give people an opportunity to accept or reject that truth. That's not the gospel. My Bible tells me that it is Christ in me who is a hope. I carry in and who I, my new nature and who I'm created to be, I carry in and on me a living hope. And it's him that I get to put on display. You know, I think when we often think about, um, you know, mission, it's like, how do I get people um, through the facts of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and then give them an opportunity to, to accept or reject that? And actually, the, there's something far greater about my life being connected to your life. And in you visibly seeing the reality of Christ in me, and seeing the reality that, that my life in its new nature gets to display and exhibit God, that there's something that is a much better choice in there. It is a much better way that we can connect people to an encounter with a living God than simply just an external truth about Jesus, right? But I think in some ways we, we have gone through cycles of mission and, we, and maybe you've been around different places and, and it's been different like, well, you know, we're going to go into a summer of mission and we're going to really push for this and we're really going to go after this and you know we're going to set a goal for this next year that in this church we're going to speak to a thousand people um we're going to share the gospel a thousand times with a thousand different people and I'm like oh, okay well it's good to have goals and stuff but I feel like often we set external pressures because we feel like we somehow need motivating from the outside but all that does is it creates a pressure and the pressure is this pressure is duty and obligation added together with some external motivation, i.e. me standing up here saying, we're not doing very well at evangelism, you need to do more. And in fact, we're going to set a goal where we need a thousand people spoken to by the end of the year. So some sort of external motivation, added in there some form of guilt, i.e. not doing a very good job, add in there your reality, which is I've tried some of this and failed often. And then what that leads to is that you just add in, I must try harder, Right? So that external pressure of how we've dealt with our, our, our mission or the, the, the gospel uh, message that we carry is that, is that we, our duty and obligation to some form of external motivation, we play our part in a guilt game, we recognize that at times we've, we've got it horribly wrong and it's not worked, and then we say to each other, we've got, got to try harder. And that's where pressure leaves us. But if we are standing from that place of realizing I'm simply the best version of me when I display and exhibit God, then I can carry the burden that he has. And because I'm a demonstration of the character of God, the character and nature of God is such that he has a burden for all of humanity. So actually, I can carry that burden. So when I carry a burden, it's very differently. I am aware of my history. So I know where I've come from. But I add to that the security of my destiny. So I have an awareness of my history. I'm secure. I have a security in my destiny. I, I know my new life. I know my new nature, my new identity. And then I begin to walk in that new identity. And then I discover the delight of helping others find theirs. Like that's the joy of, of genuine mission is that I know who I am. I know where I've come from. I know where God seated me. I know I have a new nature, a new destiny, a new assignment. And that assignment is that I carry the beautiful story of the gospel. I carry within me Christ who is a hope to every life and every situation around me. And in that, I have the great delight of bringing people into the same revelation and realization that I once found. 
which is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent Jesus to live a life that you and I could never live. He died a death that none of us could ever die. And he rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. All that would separate us from God was now paid for and dealt with so we can now step back into a relationship with him. This is the good news story which should be exhibited in and through and on my life. And I get the delight as I carry his burden. For those that don't yet know, I can carry the delight of bringing others and helping others find their true identity. And there's a beautiful simplicity, I think, to, um, to carrying the gospel in that particular way. There's a beautiful simplicity because, like I said, you are the best version of you out there. And the best version of you is the one who is marked by the love of God. And that love is the thing that will shine loudest and brightest in a world that desperately needs to know that God loves them. And that missional blueprint is in the Bible. Romans 8. I want to talk for a few minutes about God's missional blueprint and God's missional strategy. And then I want to tell you a story and then we'll close. God's missional blueprint is right there in Scripture. Romans 8. The verse will come up. It's 19 to 20. It says this. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated, would be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Like this is the uh, um, beautiful blueprint of mission that God gives us. And I think if we would write that verse, we'd write it differently. We would say, you know, um, the whole of creation, your neighbours, your work colleagues, your friends, your families, they're waiting in eager anticipation for God to do something extravagant, to write something in the sky that suddenly would have them all fall down on their knees, repent and turn and follow Jesus. That's how we would write it because at some level um, there's, a, there's some anticipation about what the implications of these, this verse really means because we would love for God to do something beside us, apart from us. But God doesn't chosen. That's not his blueprint. His blueprint is that ultimately his children, his sons and daughters would be revealed, would display, would show just how, who God is, just how good he is to the world around him. And that would be the significant ingredient which would see about, see about not just the transformation of people's lives, but actually the restoration of creation. How many of you know that that is the redemptive plan of God? It's not just simply souls. It's actually the, the, the recreation, the redemption of creation, of society. That our city would thrive. Businesses would thrive. That poverty wouldn't be a thing. That, that trafficking would not be a thing. Because actually we would see the redemption of our city. Like that's what we're going after. But in that, the blueprint is not that God would do something beside us or outside of us. That he would do something through us. He wants to do something through you and I. And it all hinges around this revelation of who you are. It's actually your sonship that is the mark of what it is to walk in mission. What's really fascinating about those verses is the particular word that Paul uses um, to describe children. He uses the word huios, which is a word that actually means mature. So a better translation is that the earth, creation, your neighbours, this city is waiting for, for the mature sons and daughters to be revealed. 
There's something that we've got to start to grow up in. Like that's what a mark of maturity is. We're growing up. We're taking responsibility for what is on us and in us and should be worked through us. That's the mark of maturity. You know, Paul primarily uses the word technon when he's talking about children, which means infant, infant child. He doesn't use the word infant. He uses the word huios, which is mature. There's something about us needing to grow up. There's something about us needing to take responsibility for what it is that is the missional identity of your life, which is to exhibit, to display, to put on show just how good God is. For that to be seen in the interactions that you have with your neighbours, for that to be seen in the interactions you have on the bus or in your work, wherever you go, that you would put God on display. That is the missional blueprint of God. It's the, the revealing The showing off. God's like, he's put something in you and on you he wants to show off to the world. And in that, he's made it part of his redemptive plan that God would see your life and see redemption come about. People would see your life and see Christ in you who is a very real hope in the midst of their devastation. Like that's the beauty that you just get to show up and be you. In all the fullness of how God really created you to be, you just get to show up and be you and put God on display. Second thing I want to um, say is that that there is a strategy. There is a strategy. I've I've been around church long enough to um, have cycled through many different strategies. Um, Many different strategies. Um, I mean, if you remember evangelism explosion. Any of you? Sounds terrifying. But basically it was this like, um, like cold call interaction with people whereby you, in a couple of minutes, convince them of their sin, tell them that sin means n- no ticket to heaven, therefore do you want ticket to heaven, therefore deal with sin. And it was, like, it was, it was formulaic and amazing slash terrifying because people didn't really meet Jesus. They just met their sin, <laughs> which is a reality of salvation. Don't get me wrong. But I've been around the church enough to know that actually that we're hungry for like, a, like what's, what's Phil's five-step model for evangelism that we're all going to take and tomorrow morning we're going to do that to our neighbours or we're going to do that to our colleagues. They're going to get the best five-step model I've got right in your face. Well, Jesus put a very, very different strategy around mission. The blueprint is you. The blueprint is God unveiled in you and on you and through you. But the strategy is this very simple step and it is a two-step It is sow and reap. In John 4, 34 to 38, says this, Jesus speaking. He says, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Let's pause there. First, for a second, the reality of of the assignment that was on Jesus' life, which is the assignment that is on our lives as we follow Jesus, is to do the work of the Father. The work of the Father in relation to humanity is always relationship. And so our job is to reconnect, to, to restore, to, um, to be a part of that redemptive plan to bring humanity, bring people back into relationship with God. It's the same for Jesus, same for us. Verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, 
the sayings, uh, thus the saying, one sows and another one reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labour. Listen, he's giving you a window into a couple of things. First and foremost, Jesus describes the, um, he's describing to the disciples the, that the, the fields are white unto harvest, which literally just means that the, the harvest, the fields are overripe, which means you just have to walk in the field and you can harvest. You don't have to cut anything. You don't have, like, there's an ease. Like, he's painting a picture. When he says, when it, when he says the, the fields are white unto the harvest, it's like, listen, it's ready. It's r- overripe. And then he goes on to paint a picture of, of sowing and reaping. And um, this is a concept which I think um, we haven't necessarily grasped in relation to the fact that what Jesus is saying is there's a space and a place where I get to harvest something I never sowed. Right? So he's talking about the, 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 the collective efforts of those that sow and those that reap, they will both rejoice. And that ultimately there's, there's a scenario, a kingdom scenario, whereby one might reap having not directly sowed. Now this is a kingdom principle we have to get because it, it transforms the way that we think about our missional identity. If we live lives missionally thinking that in some way we have to walk someone through to, from sowing a seed to watering that seed through to harvesting it, often in, a, in, a, in an instant um, encounter, then we've missed out on the beautiful process that we're all playing part in a harvest whereby at times we will sow and at times we will reap. And those times might be completely different. Let me tell you a story, and I want to encourage you with this story. A few years ago, um, I got a phone call from a friend of mine here in this church called Alan. And um, Alan, that's the second part of the story. First part of the story is, a few years ago, just before I'd had this phone call, um, we, on a Sunday, we did a thing called Breakout Sunday. How many of you were around when we did Breakout Sunday? Yep, so we committed as a church on, on once a month, um, and when I say a church, it was a fraction of you. It was a little rebuke from four years ago. Um, a few of us would decide that on these breakout Sundays, we were going to collectively um, take some time to go do some prophetic evangelism. Very simple. We'd do something, some form of activation where we, after church, we got out into the parks, out into this, this area down here by, um, by the hospital, and we'd hear God for those people that we were going to meet, We'd ask him what they looked like, what story he wanted to tell them, how we were to bless them, how we were to encourage them. And then we'd go out and we'd find these people. It's like a treasure hunt. It's amazing. A prophetic treasure hunt. And we would, on these Sundays, gosh, we would have the most amazing encounters. And we'd go out for an hour or so and we'd meet back and we'd hear incredible stories about how I had a, I'd prayed and, and God told me that I was going to meet a guy with a red jacket and he was going to be on crutches and that he had a broken leg and he wanted to heal him. And listen, we went out and people would find people with red jackets that had, were limping, with crutches and they pray for healing and their legs would get better like amazing stuff would happen so this one particular Sunday it was Easter so it's like all right we're gonna go and love this area we're gonna show God's love in a practical way we're gonna go and give people Easter eggs we're gonna walk around we're gonna give people Easter eggs and we had these cards made up the inside very simply put we wanted to tell you today that God really loves you I was like stoked this is gonna be amazing we're gonna have these interactions with people so anyway a, a group of people went out handed out eggs 
cards um, in Whitworth Park, just down here. And um, we, we got together back after an hour and just was like, all right, we're going to hear the stories. And we literally went around and everyone was like, oh, yeah, I handed out a bunch of eggs and a bunch of cards. And uh, a few people said, yeah, a bunch of people didn't want the eggs and a bunch of people didn't want the cards. There was literally no conversations, no follow-up, no like, what must I do to be saved moments. No, no, no opportunity to pray for anybody. No, it was literally the worst breakout Sunday we'd ever had. I was devastated. I was just like, this was, we'll never do this again. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was, it was awful. It was terrible. So anyway, fast forward, um, fast forward two weeks, and I get this call from this friend called Alan, <laughs> who's uh, in our church. And he was, um, he was over at the Salvation Army hostel in Salford. He said, Phil, you're never going to guess what happened. This guy checked in with us today. And, uh, and he, um, he checked in. He was going to be staying with us for a couple of nights. And what Alan would do is um, every evening... He would have a little men's group, so he would <clears throat> gather together, and often there was new people checking in. So it'd be a fresh opportunity most days for him to share the gospel, to tell them about Jesus, to give them an opportunity to, to share God's love with them, and just to tell them just how much God loves them. And he said, I did the same thing I always did, kind of shared a bit of my story, shared a bit about Jesus, and, and then kind of finished with the statement that I always do, which is, hey guys, I want you to know, God really loves you. And uh, this new guy who just checked in that day, he threw up his hand. He said, I, I know, I already know God loves me. And he's like, all right, okay. So how, how do you know God loves you? He said, you're never going to believe this, but two weeks ago, I was sat in a park and uh, a group of people came up to me and I hadn't eaten for a couple of days and they gave me a chocolate egg, which first of all, that was amazing because I was starving. And secondly, they gave me a card and in that card, it said, we just wanted you to let you know God really loves you. And he said, I, I, no one had ever told me that. I didn't know that. It was the first time I'd ever, I mean, I, I read it. It was the first time I'd ever read it. And then he said, he said actually, a week later, I found my way over to a, a church um, called King's Church, who are good, great friends of ours. King's Church. And they run this um, v, VIP night for guys who are, who are, uh, who are off the streets. And, he's, and he said, hey, they gave me some food. They gave me some clothes. And uh, this guy stood up and he, he told me just how much God loves me. And I was like, that's amazing. And then he ends up a couple of days later in this Salvation Army hostel. And Alan, our friend Alan's sitting there telling him God loves him. This is the third time that he's heard. For the first time, second time, and third time that he's now heard that God loves him. And that man gave his life to Jesus that evening. And over the course of many weeks, turned his life around, got himself into a permanent residency and began to turn his life around. And listen, as, as Alan began to tell me I just began, I began to cry on the phone because I realized, listen, part of this man's story was, a, was sitting in a park getting an egg and a card. Part, and we sewed into his life and I thought it was the worst thing we'd ever done. And then a week later, some others sewed into his life and gave him some food and some clothes and told him that God loved him. And that was the second time. And someone else watered that seed. And then a week later, he shows up my friend Alan gets to walk this guy into a brand new relationship with Jesus for the very first time. And it marked me, and it marked me in this way, because I've been so, listen, we're talking about people, not programs. You, like, you know what programs are good for? Computers. Do you know what is not living out there? Computers. It's people. You can't apply a program to, a, to people. 
You apply the love of God and you are the best people to demonstrate, to display, to reveal the love of God to people around you. It's part of your assignment to sow, to water. What would it look like in our city if the thousands and thousands of believers that are gathering around this, suddenly, around this city this morning suddenly decided that they were going to go on the great adventure with every other believer across the city of sowing and watering? What would it look like if, if in the couple of weeks' time you started to bump into people at work and they'd had five conversations with five people you don't even know who had shared with them and showed them the love of God, had talked with them and demonstrated just the, the power of the gospel, had prayed for them and they'd got healed. And then all of a sudden you step into their life, you bump into them as white as the harvest is in their life. You bump into them and you just get to reap. Like, what would it be if, if our city was full of believers who were sowing and watering and reaping, who were so assured that they, of their new identity in God, that they carried this burden that Jesus carries to reveal himself to the lost and the lonely and the vulnerable and to demonstrate and show the love of God wherever they go? What would it look like? Would we have a different city? Would we have different interactions with those people that don't yet know God? Because there are people sowing constantly and continually into their lives. There's a simple strategy. And I love what Mark said last week because he gave us some really, really simple things. He said, make friends, ask questions, listen well, be good, um, be kind and do good. These are all things that we are able to do as we exhibit the love of God and as we sow seeds and we water seeds in people's lives. And then trust God for the harvest. Listen, over here we have a prayer wall and we are praying for individuals that we are believing are going to come home. They're going to come into a brand new relationship with God. We're believing for that. But as much as we're in a moment going to pray for those people, the answers to those prayers reside in this room. It resides in your ability to step into their lives and at some level and in some way exhibit just how good God is. To love the people in front of you so well that they get a taste of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That your prayers, your dreams for these people that they would come home would be marked with as much passion and commitment on your part to have them see God displayed on your life in the simple strategy of sowing and watering. And maybe you will reap, but maybe someone else will. But we can always be responsible for sowing. We can always be responsible for, reaping, uh, for watering. And maybe some of us will get the opportunity to reap. But let me tell you what you never get. You never get a harvest without sowing. You don't get a plant without placing a seed in the ground. And that's what we get to be a part of the great adventure of of serving and sowing into the lives around us. So we want to pray for those people this morning, but I want to commission you guys this morning afresh into this great adventure. That actually that all this kind of fear of uh, the missional responsibility would drop off your shoulders and you'd realise it is about the best you showing up. The you that has been marked by the love of God, showing up in this world and demonstrating that love to the people around you. So why don't you stand? I want to pray for you.